Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Edition of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth and... We finally have some semi-real football to talk about today, Alex, on the show. So I'm pretty jacked up about this. We get to talk about day one of Patriots minicamp. Both Alex and I were out there at Gillette Stadium this afternoon, this morning, depending on which way you want to look at it, uh, to watch day one, two-hour practice session. Still no pads, but definitely a ramped up level of competition, I would say, and just overall speed compared to what we saw at the two OTA practices that we were at over the last couple of weeks. So the first semblance of real football has hit Gillette Stadium uh, on the practice field this week, and there's plenty to talk about uh, from the day out there today, Alex. But it felt good to just be out there and see the entire roster for the most part and make it feel a little bit like we're getting closer to the real thing. Yeah, it, it really did. And Bill Belichick likes to refer to this as the teaching period. And it still is, you know, they were hardly full speed today, but those first two OTA practices, I mean, you barely saw the offense go against the defense. You barely saw guys yeah. running outside of stretching. This was offense first defense for the majority of practice. There was, you know, I, I would characterize those first two practices as maybe 35, 40%. This felt like just over 50, maybe 55, 60% effort with sometimes individual spots, guys ramping it up. A little more. I uh, it it felt real. I, I actually feel confident making you know analyzing this practice a little bit versus last week. Right. I remember I just dismissed it as Bailey yeah. Zappi was fine. Let's move on. Yeah. No, there there. I I think there's real meat on the bone from what we saw today. Yeah. So before we get into the coaching and the things that Bill Belichick said this morning before practice about the offensive terminology and all this stuff that we've been talking about now on that side of the ball with the coaching staff for a couple months now, I actually want to start the show with Mac Jones because from everything that we've seen now, three OTA, uh, two OTA practices, one mini camp practice, the best development by far this spring has been how locked in and how sharp Mac Jones has looked in these practices today for my money. And now we've seen a bunch of practices last summer, last spring, this spring, This today might have been one of the best Mac Jones practices I've ever seen him have in a Patriots uniform. Not only the throws down the field that he was making, but also 
the confidence, right? Some of the the leadership, the bravado, uh, that alpha that you see now from Mac Jones in year two with that comfortability level. It just seems like a different guy on top of the fact that he's in much better shape. Uh, the ball seems to have a little bit more zip on it when he throws the football outside the numbers or down the field. But mainly, I, I think that the number one thing that stood out to me, and then we can get into some of the individual throws as well, is he is louder, he is more confident, and he's got a little bit of swagger now. Not that he didn't as a rookie, but in year two, you're really starting to see that Alpha Max start to come out a little bit more. Yeah, I'm going to be careful about being prisoner of the moment. I'm not going to call it his best practice ever again. It's not a padded practice. They, there's he still it, to me it didn't top the one where he tore apart the Giants last year, right? That arrival. Yeah, that was know, good. I, let's right. let's let's not go that far. But no, he was very good today. I, I thought he had great command. I called it in my notebook on 985thesportsub.com. I called it an accuracy clinic. Two really good throws on fade balls down the field, which is exciting to see because I think this offense is built well for those kind of throws. And you, you mentioned yeah. the, the vocal elements of it too, where he's fired up. He's getting other guys fired up. He's encouraging his teammates. He's working with his teammates, all of that. I mean, he feels like, you know, just watching him, it feels like you're watching a truly entrenched number one quarterback. And I don't mean that in the sense of his job was ever in doubt going into this year. That's not what, what that is. What I mean is it, it feels like he's been here, right? Yeah. It, it, there's a comfort level, not just within the the context of the Patriots offense, but in the huddle with his teammates, with the coaches, all of that, that you would think he's been playing here for four or five years. So to see that, and then of course the throws themselves, the accuracy, yes, very, very encouraging day. I won't go as far as, as calling it his best day yet, that press practice ever. I'll leave that on you. I think I still take the Giants one, but he was yeah. very good today. Fair enough. I, I think I should caveat it with, yes, it wasn't an up, uh, padded practice i'll so call I, it his I, best non-padded practice if sure, you want to do that i will that. do that what i love so much about it again it was look a lot of things that we've talked about on this show that you hear when you turn on your radio no offense alex and uh, you read other people and stuff like that is the sky is falling in foxborough right the coaching staff is is in shambles the defense is uh, personnel wise is in shambles the offense doesn't have the firepower at the skill positions to keep up with buffalo and kc and cincinnati and so on and so forth mainly the coaching staff has been the one in the firing line most of the time but through all of that it doesn't seem like the Mac Jones train is slowing down. It's actually speeding up, right? Like he seems like he is as good as he's ever been. And a lot of the things that we've heard about his work ethic this off season, whether it's away from the facility with Tom house and cleaning up his diet and getting into better shape. I think we're starting to see chan ch wow, tangible evidence on the practice field that, all that stuff is actually paying dividends. Now it's, it's June. Let's see sure. what it looks like in November. Let's see what it looks like even in September, but people keep asking us, does it look like the fastball has got more zip on it? Does it look like Mac Jones is uh, making a year two leap? Does it look like he's improving? And with all of this other stuff, conceivably not going necessarily his way around him, McDaniels leaves, you know, that sort of thing he's still getting better and, and he's still really leading the troops. And I, I think the number one thing that you can take away from this spring is that Mac 
I think is ready to lead the charge, right? He's ready to lead the troop. The question is, is will the, will the rest of the group come with them, right? Will the other 52 guys on the team come with them, but I have no concerns whatsoever about Mac Jones's ability to lead them back to the playoffs. So, I think it's more about what's going on around him at this point. Yeah. And to go back to your original point, I think a lot of the sky is falling discourse and I'm, I'm somebody who's participated in this because I believe it. I think a lot of the issue is, you have a second-year quarterback, a guy who's still learning, is still developing. Why are you putting a patchwork coaching staff around him? And I still think that's a concern. Yeah. But if Mac truly is great, and I'm talking about you know exceeding the the ceiling expectations, if Mac really is that dude, right? Right. Maybe none of it matters. Yeah. Maybe he just overcomes it and just says, "F this, I'm gonna do it myself." Right. Like maybe even with bad coaching, he can still develop himself. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I it's it's all tied together, right? It's all tied together, and you worry about Max development. So to see him, you know, again, it's one practice, but if he continues on this trend, I think then the conversation becomes, well, did we, you know, misanalyze the coaching staff, or is he doing this in spite of the coaching staff, not because of them? I think that becomes the next step, but it's all tied together, really. Yeah, I pretty much everybody has reported on the throw to Trey Nixon at this point, but that throw to me, and we had a great vantage point of it. Uh, if we were, yeah. If we were able to record still, that was at the portion of the practice where they shut down the cameras and we weren't able to get it on video, unfortunately. But Alex and I were standing like maybe five to 10 yards away from Trey Nixon, not even when he made that catch and it fell right into our laps as well. And to see him, hold the safety in the middle of the field and fit that ball over the top of Jonathan Jones. And before Devin McCourty could get over the top, having that ability to get just enough zip on it, but also have that touch and that accuracy to drop it in the bucket. That was the type of throw that with all these questions about arm strength and has his velocity improved. Once I saw that, I was like, all right, like I, I think we're in a good spot now with Mac Jones in terms of the physical development of his, his arm strength, velocity, body, whatever you want to talk about it in year two, because that was an absolute dime. And that was exactly the type of throw that you want to see him be able to make because Jonathan Jones was all over Trey Nixon. Like that was pretty solid coverage. And he had yeah. the Cordy working over the top. So you couldn't throw it with all touch. There had to be a little bit of velocity on it to beat the safety over the top. And I, I go back to that throw against Buffalo on the Micah Hyde interception Yes, that was in a playoff game in Buffalo against a really good defense in the blistering cold, not June minicamp practice. But if he can get a little bit more velocity on that football and put that outside of Nelson Aguilar's outside shoulder a little bit more towards the sideline like he did for Nixon in that throw today, those are the types of steps that you want to see him make when it comes to pushing the football down the field. Yeah, no, absolutely. Those are kind of throws that, again, I think should be – a central part of the Patriots offense. And as you know, we'll get into the, the reworked offense, et cetera, down the line here, but it's good to see making those throws. Cause it, 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 you know, it gives them confidence to call those kind of plays and just the, the personnel they have on the offensive side of the ball. Right. I think may, you know, it makes those kind of calls attractive, but of course you can only make them if the quarterback can make the throws and those are high level throws. Those are tough throws to make. And a lot of it's chemistry too. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you talk about the Nixon one, but the Parker one as well to see, he already has that kind yeah. of chemistry with Devonte Parker. He worked with Trey Nixon a lot last year, especially in the summer before Cam got cut. 
to see he's already at that chemistry level with Devontae Parker is very, very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get back to Trey Nixon and Devontae Parker in a second. I do want to talk about the offensive coaching staff and what Bill Belichick said about streamlining the terminology on the offensive side of the football. I I do think some of the things that are being discussed in terms of the offensive language or the terminology that they're using and even the play caller, especially this time of year where these are scripted practices. It's not like you're going out there. It's third and six against Buffalo in week 18 and you have to make a play call, right? It's a very different situation when you're going in with a pre-planned script of how exactly you're going to, what you're exactly going to run in a practice. None of this is reactionary towards the defense or the score or the situation. It's a, it's a totally different ball game. So I actually think that the terminology, which I think a lot of the players and maybe some of it's walking back some of the things that Kendrick Bourne has said, but a lot of the players are saying, you know, it's more or less the same bones, you know, maybe they're like Belichick said, streamlining some things, making some things a little bit more efficient than what they were before. And I'm not even so caught up in the play caller thing. And I, I know that I've gone here a lot, but where I'm still with the offensive coaching is more about what we're actually seeing schematically out on the practice field and anything to do with the terminology or the play calling. I feel like it's not being talked about enough that we've seen three open practices to the media at this point, And I don't think I've seen them pull a guard once, right? Like this is a much different scheme. We know that they're not going to use a fullback and they haven't really used a fullback in these practices that to me is the bigger storyline than who's actually relaying the plays into Mac Jones in a mini camp practice. At, at this point, the fact that they're drilling all these zone concepts, all these bootleg actions, uh, they're not using a fullback. They're not using pullers as often as they used to anymore. They used to be one of the most pull heavy run games in the NFL, like leading the league and the amount of run plays with pullers. And now we just don't even see it in three straight practices that are open to the media. What is your feeling on this, Alex? Because I think that everybody's looking over here. And I actually think Bill Belichick's happy that everyone's out over here wasting time talking about play callers in June. uh, When in reality, we're, we're watching a pretty significant scheme shift, at least in the run game, right before our eyes. I... I, I want to say I'll believe when I see it. I know we're seeing it, but we're seeing it in minicamp. I just, I, I I don't think they're going to go, like, I think they might run more zone. I, I still don't think they're going to be a full-time zone running team. Now, the other interesting development today, obviously, in that regard was they moved Trent Brown to, to left tackle, at least, you know, some of the time. But Isaiah Wynn did the whole practice at right tackle, right? That's interesting because if you are going to run zone, yeah, that alignment maybe makes more sense. And I, you, you explained it really well in practice earlier, so I'll let you do that. But you know, it does seem like it's starting to trend that way. I, I don't know. That's not. It's not something I can get hot and bothered by. I the run game worked. The run game worked. They were a great running team last year. Like that's the one thing I wouldn't tweak. I don't really get why they're tweaking that, right? Yeah, I think the one argument for tweaking it is actually more to do with the passing in and the run game is that in general, the outside zone Shanahan-esque system, whatever you want to call it, is a much more simplified version of what they were doing, right? It's a lot more uh, dumbed down, especially in the passing game where you're really only working two or three man route combinations at a time. And there's a lot less nuance to it. There's a lot less uh, option routes, side adjustments, things like that to it. It's really just 
you know, bootleg action with the crossers at different levels, post uh, post crosser concepts. Like we're not really talking about five wide, you know, option routes all over the place, Hossie Juke, right? Like we're not talking about that kind of play. It's definitely a more simplified version of what they've done in the past. You mentioned Isaiah Wynn, which I wanted to get to here as well, which I agree is maybe fitting into all of this. So Isaiah Wynn, just to sum up what Alex was saying, he debuted this for the first time this spring. He wasn't at the voluntary portion. He was to, there today at the mandatory portion. And the Patriots had him at right tackle. We have not seen Isaiah Wynn play anywhere outside of his rookie training camp where he played a little bit of right tackle then. Other than left tackle, I think he's made every start besides one in four years at left tackle. And the other start was at left guard. So we're talking about him playing on the left side his entire NFL career. They came out today. He was at left tackle, or right tackle, excuse me. Trent Brown was at left tackle when he was out there in a limited capacity. What do you, What's going on with Isaiah Wynn? Because he shows up, right? That's, a, that's step one. So he is here. But moving him over to right tackle... I think there are some arguments and you mentioned that, you know, we got into sort of the way zone concepts work and we can get into that a little bit, but I don't know. This to me is maybe overthinking it a little bit in terms of all this, all these moving parts on the offensive line. You already have a new right guard and a new left guard from last year. Now we're flipping win and Brown. It just seems like a lot of moving pieces. Maybe again, this could be chalked up to it's June. They're experimenting and let's see what it actually looks like at in training camp and uh, on September 11th against Miami. I mean, I really hope that's what it is, right? Because again, you're dinking around with Mac Jones development by, by rearranging the entire offensive line for seemingly no reason. Yeah. Um, I, with wind, what's really interesting to me is I'm surprised he's okay with it. Yeah. He's entering a contract year and look, right. Tackles get paid certainly, but unless he knows for sure he's going to Miami next year and he knows for sure two is good. Or let me rephrase that. Cause we don't know that two is going to be in Miami unless he knows for sure he's going to be blocking for two next year. Yeah. Left tackles make more than right tackles, right? There's no other lefty quarterback in the NFL right now. Starter. I feel like I'm missing somebody, but, um, not dumb, the top of my head. Dumb joke yeah. aside. I de- I derailed a perfectly good take by with a dumb joke. Never do it. Rookie mistake. Um, yeah, I, I, if you're, if I'm Isaiah win, I'm going into a contract year. You're, you're moving me to right tackle where I've never played where, you know, based on the traditional scheme, I'm not going to be able to play as much to my strengths. You're asking me to do all that going into a contract here. If I'm Isaiah Wynn, I'd be pissed unless yeah. I know there's another deal coming. Like maybe he knows he's getting an extension, right? I'm just, you know, I guess I can't say I'm surprised to see it because it's, it's one practice, but let's kind of see where that goes to me that, that, it's it really clouds Isaiah Wynn's standing within the team. Are they moving him to right tackle because he thinks he's better there or, or because they think he's better there or are they moving him to right tackle because Trent Brown's going to be the left tackle this year and he's not in the long-term plans. Yeah. And they just, you know, they're not going to rep him there. They learned their lesson with Cam Newton. They're not going to rep him in a position. He's not going to play in order to help everybody build, you know, familiarity and chemistry and all of that. So I, I, you know, I, schematically, what do I make of it? I don't know. It's really tough off just one practice from a roster construction standpoint. What do I make of it? I make of it that Isaiah wins days in new England, maybe more numbered than, than we thought they were. 
I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. I'm with you. I think this is another domino that points to Isaiah Wynn potentially being on the trade block here. And there are arguments that we could get into if we want to take the trade route out of it and assume that this is there's a method to this madness to keep Isaiah Wynn on the roster. I guess in theory, they could be thinking if we're going to be more zone heavy by splitting up Trent Brown and Mike Onwin, who we're kind of spreading the athleticism out a little bit more throughout the five guys on the line. And we're not putting two guys in a zone-heavy scheme that are 340-plus pounds. And Onwenu and Trent Brown, that's one side of it. You know, you're really kind of dictating that you're probably not going to run an outside zone, 90-degree angle, horizontal stretch play to the right side when you have two big guys over there like that. I also mentioned to you at practice, like you were saying, that in a zone system, really the key blocks for most outside zone concepts are the backside guard block, right? And in terms of building that crease to set up the cutback lanes, the whole idea of the scheme, there's three different reads for the running back. You can either bounce it outside, you can hit it in the C gap directly, or you can cut it back up the field. Ideally, the cutback is where the big run is, right? That's that's where the home run is, is to cut it right back up through the middle of the field after the defense has flowed all the way towards the sideline. If you're thinking that your best blocker on an outside zone scheme is Cole Strange, the most athletic guy on that line now, you're going to want to run in the football away from him most of the time, not not necessarily towards the side that he's on. So maybe there's something to do with that as well with the athleticism and things like that. But look, I I look at it and I say right tackle, maybe a little bit more replaceable than a left tackle. You're trying to build continuity. You know, Isaiah wins, not going to be there, but you know, Trent Brown is, and he's going to be the one playing on the left side. I still think that this spells that, if the Patriots got a decent enough offer for Isaiah Wynn, they would certainly entertain it. And then they would roll the dice with Justin Haran or kicking on Wenu back out to right tackle, I think are the two most favorable options there, right? In terms of what they would do moving forward without Wynn. But it, it makes no sense to me otherwise that after four years of the guy playing almost every single snap at left tackle. Now we come out in June and day one of minicamp and all of a sudden he's a right tackle like that, that I I don't necessarily understand. So if that's the plan, right. So I I think that that's, that's where we're at with Isaiah win. If they do move on from Isaiah win, I don't know, Alex, I'm a little bit skeptical of that as well. I, I understand that maybe they feel like they could get equal play or equal performance from Justin Haran or on Wenu at right tackle, but they've already traded Shaq Mason and created a void at right guard. They've already not 
match the offer from Cincinnati on Ted Karras, you have two new starters already. And that's three new starters on your offensive line. It's, it's a lot of change to go ahead and pull the plug on Isaiah win now. Yeah, it is. But I mean, if you're moving him to the right side, that's still weird too, right? A lot of change. Yeah. Either way, either way, no matter what you do, it's weird. So I guess it's just how weird do you want to make it? Yeah. I in think some that... ways, in, in some ways I would say moving win to right tackle is more disruptive than trading him because yeah. you're still, you still have new starters at left and right tackle. I mean, he's still on the team, but he's still a new starter at the position. It's a position he's never played. You would yeah. assume if they move on from win, Trent Brown's played left tackle, he's played left tackle here. And then it's either Michael Owen or Justin Huron at, at right tackle. Did I say, just say Trent Brown, right? Trent Brown's played left tackle here. It's either Michael Owen or Justin Huron at right tackle who've played that position before. So it's still weird. Yeah. It, but it's, it's sorry, but it's less weird. Yeah. It's definitely very weird if they're going to play him at right tackle and we'll see what ends up happening. I also remember his rookie preseason. I think it was a game against the Eagles, right? That he tore his Achilles. He yeah. tore his Achilles playing right tackle, right? They threw him out there at right tackle. He hadn't really repped a ton at right tackle. He takes one step off of his inside foot and blows out his Achilles. So I'm not saying he's going to get injured if they put him at right tackle. I'm just saying it's clearly a foreign position to him, right? And the movements over there are clearly foreign to him. So we'll see what happens. It, it was a really interesting development out there today to see him play so much right tackle. And uh, they're clearly they're clearly trying to figure out what to do with Isaiah Wynn. I think that's the best way to put it, right? Is he going to be yeah. on the team? Is he not going to be on the team? Is he going to be a tackle, uh, right tackle, left tackle? Uh, I think they're still trying to work out exactly what they're going to do with Isaiah Wynn in the future here. Uh, wrapping it up on offense, a few other notables out there today. I thought Devontae Parker just continues to have a solid spring from everything that we have seen. Uh, the catch over Jalen Mills today exemplify perfectly exactly why he's here Alex like that's why you make that trade is because you have a guy on the outside now that can go above a defender on in a one-on-one matchup and Mac just lofts it up there for him puts it on a platter gives him a chance to go up and get it and he uh, moss Jalen Mills uh, just caught it right above Jalen Mills and was able to haul it in for a big play he continues to impress me I think he's just he knows what his skill set is and he's kind of just a professional wide out right he's a professional x receiver a professional outside receiver and the patriots uh, i think will really benefit from that if he can stay on the field it's exactly what they thought or were hoping that Nikhil harry would become and he never did and i think that they are getting that right now out of Devonte parker yeah like i said before right i i think the most encouraging thing with him is that it's there's clearly chemistry between he and mac and that's exciting because the routes you want him to run, a lot of them are timing routes, you know, chemistry routes, back shoulder stuff, fade stuff, yeah. things like that. So, yeah, I I think I, I said that to you, didn't I, when he made that catch? I said, that's why that's why you give up a third yeah. round pick for that guy. It was not an easy catch. He had to go way up to get it. He got his feet in. He touched the feet down. Yeah, that was that was definitely encouraging to see. Yeah, that's exactly why he's here. And, and lastly, it's Ernie Adams' guy. And Ernie Adams was out there today. observing kind of hanging out. I wouldn't say he was necessarily doing any heavy lifting, but he was out there today and Trey Nixon put on a show right in front of the guy that drafted him uh, with the big catch from Mac down the field, had a couple of other catches and team drills underneath the defense. I think this guy's got a chance. I don't know. It's a crowded wide receiver room. 
there's five locks unless they trade Nelson Aguilar. So that means that they would have to carry six wide receivers to keep Trey Nixon on the team. But I think he's got a little bit a wiggle underneath the defense. I think he's got some vertical stretch ability from the slot. There's certainly a lot to like about Trey Nixon and him and Mac after last year, uh, early on in training camp, getting a lot of reps in together, clearly have a little bit of something going. So I, I think that there's a lot of excitement about Trey Nixon that is deservedly so. And you start to look at the future, the next couple of years, Jacoby Myers in a contract year on their restricted free agent tender. You don't know what's going to happen there in the slot with Jacoby there could be an opportunity coming in the next couple of years for Trey Nixon to step into a larger role. If he continues to develop his game inside the formation, he looked really good today. And I think he, he's a certainly got some, some burst, right. Whether it's on those cuts underneath the defense or getting over the top and he's going out there and beating Jonathan Jones and miles, Bryan. not, not, you know, scrubs. Like we're not talking about guys that are, are not going to be on an NFL roster in a couple of months. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, Nixon last year and, and he, he flashed at times in camp last year. And I think the speed, yeah. the short area quickness, that was apparent. I think the biggest difference right now is his route running specifically his footwork looks a lot better. And that's certainly encouraging if they hadn't traded for Devonte Parker, if they hadn't drafted Taekwon Thornton, I think it's a much more realistic conversation for hit like I the, the long-term outlook, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I think you know, if Jacoby Myers wasn't here again, it becomes a much more realistic thing. But are they gonna keep six wide receivers? That's probably what he needs to happen to make the team, or for Nelson or an injury or for Nelson Aguilar to get traded, right? Because you have Aguilar, Bourne, Myers, Parker, Thornton. Those five guys are all making the team unless Aguilar gets dealt. Like those five guys are not getting cut, right? Yeah. So do they keep a, keep a sixth receiver? And then if they do, the question becomes, well, that guy is primarily going to play special teams in Christian Wilkerson, who has flashed as well, but his hands are really suspect, or at least they look really suspect at this point. Yeah. But will they go with the better special teams player in Wilkerson than Nixon? Nixon was asked about playing special teams today. He said he's willing to do it, and he gave all the right answers about it. So that becomes something to watch you know with him as we get in a training camp how much is he contributing on special teams i like him he's an exciting player he has good upside i like that i i said that when they took him last year in the draft i thought he was a good pick it's just a matter of and, and i i wish there was a way to i wish they could like truly redshirt him right it's going to be interesting to see how he fits on the context of the roster this year yeah i think what he's the- a guy too sorry He's a guy, too. I wonder if they bury in the preseason to try to sneak him onto the practice squad. Yeah, that's a really good point that I was going to hit on, actually, is that if you throw Trey Nixon out there against third and fourth stringers in the preseason games, even with Bailey Zappi or Brian Hoyer, he might have some big games, right? I think he's one of those players that, okay, maybe on an NFL depth chart, he's like a fourth or a fifth receiver right now. But then when you start to get into these preseason games against depth corners, guys that aren't going to make the roster for other teams, he's going to show out. I mean, he's going to be an NFL player. So if you're going to go that route, then you do kind of have to pull him back in the preseason because if you're going to think about trying to sneak him onto the practice squad again, then I don't think that that's going to work out if he has a couple hundred yard games in the preseason. So you also put it, you know, they're going to have some joint practices too. And you look out there in Vegas, if he has a good week of practice in front of Josh McDaniels, I mean, forget about it. Like he's not going to make it to the practice squad. Right. So uh, I, I think that there's a lot of 
reasons why keeping Trey Nixon as the sixth receiver is starting to make more and more sense. If obviously if he continues to play this well and continues to show out. And I think that there's a little bit of, of upside here with a player like that. And maybe a little bit more in the chat. I think, you know, Scotty Miller is a pretty solid comp for him. Maybe not as much an Amendola or a Welker or even an Edelman, but kind of more of that vertical slot type, somebody that can get up the field a little bit more. And I liked how he finished through some contact against Jonathan Jones, tried to rip that ball out that he got caught from Mac Jones down the field. And he secured it and stayed strong with the football through the catch. And uh, just some good flashes after last training camp, you know, him and Mac, when they worked together with the second team, offense against the second team defense early on in training camp mac was finding him consistently over the middle yeah. uh, and they were really had uh, a lot of things uh, good things going between those two guys so i i don't want it to come off as so much train and hype like we're just telling you what we saw today like the he had a good day this is well. this is what this is he had yeah. a good day we're telling you he had a good day and then generally when we do that we're on the topic of the player we look at the the you know where he stands in the bigger picture right. that's, that's how this yeah. works welcome to the show <laughs> So a couple of uh, people in the chat as well, just to kind of, uh, you know, give the people what they want. Uh, Nikhil Harry, a lot of conversations about Nikhil Harry. I, look, I, I think it's so bizarre that the guy's still on their team. Like I, I get that they're trying to find that sweet spot potentially of trading him and getting some value back in return for the player. But what a odd situation like what a just awkward situation getting out there today and seeing number one on the field I was like what is this guy doing here and it looked like he was kind of running through routes like what the hell am I doing here right like you know it, it kind of looked like that there wasn't a lot of whole a whole lot of laser focus from Nikhil Harry on the practice field today seems like that guy's just waiting to get traded and I look at the situations obviously totally different but out in San Francisco, the Giants, they gave Jimmy Garoppolo an excused absence because, you know, what's the point of showing up when, you know, Trey Lance is going to be the starter. And I think with Nikhil Harry, we're at the point now where it's like, is it even worth giving him these practice reps? You know, Tyquan Thornton needs reps. Uh, you mentioned, you know, we've mentioned Trey Nixon. You even mentioned Christian Wilkerson. Like some of these other guys that are depth receivers that are, you know, six, seven, eight on the depth chart right now those guys need the reps this time of year that they're actually going to be a uh, potential future players for the Patriots. Nikhil Harry just looks like he's just eating up space out there right now. It's, it's kind of crazy. I think that he's even on the team still. Yeah. I was interested to see what position he's going to be playing. Cause I'm, I'm somebody who's, you know, been in, in the camp of, Oh, you can't just say, Oh, make him a tight end. It doesn't work like that. And yeah. then Mike Reese came out in his weekly column, right. And said, Nikhil might need to change positions in order yeah. to make the team. And when Reese says it, you pay attention. So he didn't work with the tight ends today at all, which would have been a fun storyline if he did. But yeah, I, I, I think that they hope, you know, I've said this before. Remember last year where he was rolling in camp and he was going against Juwan Williams, but he was rolling in camp and yeah. in the preseason, then he got hurt and it kind of derailed everything. I think the hope is that he can replicate that. I think the hope is that he can have a good camp. We'll hype him up a little bit. Somebody will take the bait and maybe get a sixth instead of a seventh. Right. I think, you know, I'm not doing it again. I, I fell for it a little bit last year. I'm not falling for it a again. little bit. You fell for it a little bit last year. Sure. Uh, Evan, a little bit. Yeah. Always got to give me a hard time. I'm not giving, not that other teams are reading my stuff and making trades based off of what Evan Lazar has to say, but I'm just saying 
Like I'm staying far away from that hype. Like if any, if anybody else wants to go and make him sound like trade worthy, then like you're just doing the Patriots a, a favor, I guess at that point. Right. Like you're just doing the team a solid. Yeah. Yeah. But you never know some team they might, you know, Oh, Hey, look, he's tearing it up in camp. You know, if he puts together a good preseason game, Hey, the ability is still there. The natural ability is still there. Maybe we can really get it out of him. So, yeah, you know, as weird as it is that he is on the roster right now, I don't totally disagree with that, but his value's never been lower and it can't get much lower than it is right now. I understand why you don't want him. And I get the reps thing, but at the same time, what's the rush, right? That's how they look at it. I think I, they, right. there's, there's no offer, right? You know, teams are just kind of waiting around to see if they're going to have to throw a conditional seventh at the Patriots to, get him before he gets cut at this point. Like that's, that's the offer, right? Is, Oh, you know, we'll give you a conditional seventh. And if he sticks on our 53, then you get the seventh. Like that's, that's right. the, that's the offer. Then other than that, there's nothing out there. Nobody's offering any, the Patriots, anything for Nikhil Harry. And I think that you're right, that there's no way that the trade stock could get lower. So let's hang on to him for the time being. And maybe he shows out in the preseason and maybe that conditional seventh or we're all waiting to, for you to cut him becomes a conditional sixth, right? Like, right. or maybe you can swap him for, and you don't good, know who's going to cut hurt. a player. So let's swap him. That sort of yeah. thing. Right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, lastly, or two more players actually I want to hit on offense. Uh, people also asking about Tyquan Thornton. Uh, today was the first day where we actually got to see Tyquan Thornton open it up a little bit, which I thought was nice. It wasn't like he was a high volume target guy. I think he only had one or two catches in team drills, but not that, that it's any surprise when you run a four two eight. But you, you kick and obviously run like right. right. I mean that that's really pretty obvious i like that they had him working out at gunner i think that that could be an area where he might potentially contribute as well uh, during his nfl career not that that's why they drafted him but it, you know you can see some of the speed translating to that role as well but he stretched the field a few times took the safety with him a few times uh, they used him on some underneath routes which i thought was interesting to maybe get him into some schemes uh, situations where he can use his speed as a ball carrier but not a ton to glean from Tyquan Thornton today just because he didn't see high volume of targets. But he's certainly uh, – the 428 certainly seems to show up uh, on the practice field at least. And you can see that the guy is really, really fast. I mean, he looks faster moving in motion than some guys doing their routes. There's one play where they ran him in motion across the formation, right? And um, Yeah. I, the, yeah. I, the, the speed's real. The speed's legit. We'll see how the rest of it comes together. We can't really see that till the pads come on, but the speed's real. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last one here, I swear, for the offense. Johnny Smith, three catches today in team drills. I don't think it should be understated, and I'm not going to come out and say that Johnny Smith's all of a sudden going to be a $14 million a year player like the Patriots paid him to be and are paying him to be this year. But it shouldn't be understated the fact that Johnny Smith, he had a baby, he signed with the Patriots, he wasn't able to participate in the off season program last year. So he came in training camp and the train was already sort of moving without him. Right. And then he had to jump right. on the train and he had some tweaks, some injuries during training camp, which derailed him a little bit. So it wasn't the best foundation for Johnny Smith going into the season. He looks to me beyond just the fact that he made some nice catches today. 
he just looks more confident, right? Right. Which always, whenever you're more confident in your surroundings, in the scheme, in the building in general, with your teammates, you play faster. And I do think that he's playing a little bit more free, a little bit faster. Uh, there was one catch, you know, you caught the corner out in seven on seven, which was nice. That got some cheers from Damian Harris and some of the other players. But the one that really stood out to me was uh, he got a little hitch route over the middle of the field where he put his foot in the ground, turned around and Mac hit him with the football immediately. Right. Like as soon as he turned around, the ball was there and him just knowing you know, being on the same page of you're, you know, I'm going to be here and you're going to think I'm here type of thing with Mac to make an anticipatory throw like that over the middle. I, I don't know if that was happening last year with any sort of reg- regularity that those two really knew exactly the landmarks of where Johnny Smith was going to be on the field. And, you know, Kendrick Bourne talked about this earlier this offseason, and there's evidence of it in the past. The second year in New England is just night and day from the first year once you have all that information under your belt. So, I, you know, for John Smith and and so much of it being a usage thing last year too, and the offense is going to change this year. I think there's a lot pointing towards him having a better season. How good will he be? It's tough to tell just yet, but I think there's a lot pointing towards him being better this season. Yeah. Hunter Henry was limited at practice today. So it was a lot of 81. We saw a lot of Johnny Smith with the first team offense and he was out there making plays. And like I said, I, I don't think it's, I think it's a legitimate reason why he wasn't as good last year as they were hoping and why he wasn't as involved in the passing game as they were hoping last year was because he wasn't involved as much in mini camp OTAs and training camp as they would have liked. And that was obviously for extenuating circumstances, which were totally understandable. So I think that's a really good takeaway from today or just from the spring as well. And uh, let's move over to the defense side of the football though here a little bit. I have a tough time. Uh, with defense in mini camp without pads, without pads, you yeah. can't tackle anybody. Uh, the pass rushers, like, look, Josh Uche looks like a hall of famer every single time in the spring because he's, his first step is so good and these guys can't really touch him or can't really put him in the ground like they can in a padded practice. So it's hard to see what's actually real and what's actually not. So I, I look more at participation and who's playing with whom and you can get into some of the coverage stuff as well. But I thought it was interesting. First time the defense broke the huddle uh, in team drills, it was Jalen Mills on one side and Terrence Mitchell on the other side. So at least as we get into mini camp right now, that's that tandem, that pairing with Jonathan Jones in the slot seemed like the quote unquote top cornerback group as of right now. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you can't go more than that. Yeah, they seem like the starters. You can't really go beyond that. I'll give you, I mean, I'll give you my guy. I, I was focused more up front and I'm yeah. still, I'm, I'm going to get big time on the LeBron Ray train. I, everybody else should too. If he's healthy, I think he's going to be a real problem. I saw he's listed at 6'4, 295. He looks significantly bigger than that. He's got really long arms. And I, I watched him go through some individual drills today and, you figure a guy who only played 36 games in five years in college is going to be pretty raw. His handwork is excellent. Every, you know, I I didn't watch his feet as much. It's not to say his his footwork isn't good, but you watch the way he uses his hands. Every single little motion has a purpose. He knows, he knows exactly what he's doing with his hands. You combine that with his long arms and, you've really got to get into him right away to block him. Cause if you don't, if you let him extend, he's going to toss you aside. There's spots to be one on the defensive line. 
this year, right? The defensive line is incomplete right now. There are at-large at spots. Guys are going to claim those. I think he's going to be a factor there. I think he should compete for rotational role. I think he makes the team as more than just a special teamer. I, I, you know, what I saw today, I'm not basing this just off what I saw today, but it just reinforces it further. The, the question with him is health. He couldn't stay healthy at Alabama. That's why he went undrafted. I think if he plays regularly at Alabama, first off, he doesn't stay for five years. Second off, he's a day two pick at least. If he can stay healthy, I think he's going to be a real problem for teams up front. Yeah, look, they need – if they can get another base end, right, a 3-4 D end, if that's how they're going to stick, or even in their over fronts, they still need ends in those fronts as well, obviously. And if they can get another guy that can play first down and be a little bit stouter, because I think last year they had Guy, they had Godshaw, they were rotating that third – that that other end spot opposite of Lawrence Guy a ton because – Sometimes Christian Barmore was inconsistent. Dietrich Wise, we always know for him, up and down against the run as well. And they weren't really able to find a solid trio in the middle that could stand up and stop the run consistently. They, they got to the point where they actually began to have Carl Davis play the nose to flex Godshaw out to defensive end a little bit. But then you're really giving up a lot of pass rush if they do, you know, uh, throw the football, excuse me, on first down. If it's play action or something like that, then you're really kind of foregoing with the pass rush. So if if LeBron Ray can be a solid first down base end, that, then they could use a guy like that, right? And obviously you rotate them off the field and get guys that are a little bit more well-versed as pass rushers on second and third down. But on first down, on short yardage, they, they could use another big body uh, on the defensive line. And, and maybe it ends up, being a guy like LeBron Ray. Uh, a couple of other notes on, on defense. One of the players that I always feel like gets slept on because we're talking so much about Uche and Barmore and Perkins and some of these McGrone and some of these other guys, Kyle Duggar, another interception today. It was on Great Brian Hoyer, but a really good play to go down and scoop the ball off the turf. If there's one guy that maybe can – elevate his game from like a good solid starter like he was last year to a pro bowl safety it's probably kyle duggar right i mean i, I think yeah. he's got the most potential to explode into a real star player for the patriots this year yeah i i mean i feel like we kind of said that last year too he took it's, a step forward you know he didn't you know, he did he did yeah. I, it's the i, I maybe maybe we, we were expecting too much from him last year it's the athletic profile that really does it right you know yeah. he's He's so explosive. He's so athletic. And you saw it on the interception today where he was, I think he was in a deep middle zone. I don't know. It was some zone. Yeah. It was and deep, deep post safety. Yeah. Yeah. And Hoyer just kind of left to throw short over the middle and he comes flying in. And I mean, with his fingertips, full extension, I asked him after practice, he said he caught it. I'll believe him. I'll trust him. It, it, it looks so, like he caught it from our vantage. Point. It looks yeah. like he caught it. Yeah. I, it, it would have gotten a review in a game, but it looks like he caught it. I, the most encouraging thing to me with him is he was asked after practice today because he spoke after practice what he worked on the most this offseason. He said the mental side of the game, both being able to read things better and being a better communicator. And I think if he's going to make the kind of leap you're talking about, where, where we're talking yeah. about him as a pro bowler, we're talking about him as a top six, top 10 safety in the league because that's what a pro bowler is, that's, that's the next step. Physically, he can do it. It's play recognition, it's pre-snap recognition, it's route recognition. And then, you know, that, you know, that leadership role, Devin McCourty does so well being able to position everybody. And it's not a knock. It's not that he's bad at it, but he went to a, 
you know, D2 school, it all looked very different in front of him. And he's a young player. He comes in here. He hasn't been tasked with a lot of that because Devin McCourty and Adrian Phillips have handled that. So I, you know, to see him kind of taking that step, that's really encouraging because I think that's, you know, the, the real untapped potential in his game. And real quick, because it's a good question. How do you work on communicating when you're trading by yourself? It's you're watching film. It's not so yeah. much you're you're not practicing saying, hey, watch this. Hey, watch that. It's you're watching a ton of film. You're trying to pick up on tendencies. You're trying to pick up on things like that. So when you're in a game and you're in a situation, you recognize things you're in a spot to be able to communicate that to people, right? You're in a spot where I know what this is. Let me tell everybody else what this is, right? Because you need to know. If you tell everybody a play is something and you're wrong, you make everybody look bad. A lot of times at that point, players won't guess. You have to really know. So just being being that aware, uh, it takes hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months of film study. So, And that's kind of what he said is that that's what he was working on, really just understanding the game better, both, the Patriots defense itself and, and what some of their opponents are doing. So he can help make some of those calls and call things out once they get into actual game action. Yeah. I kind of gave up on the whole RPO thing. That used to be my thing to pound the table for. Now I'm going to continue to pound the table for Kyle Duggar as a ball hawking Rover type of player. Like they use Rodney Harrison. I don't think this guy is Patrick Chung. Like I, I'm not, so, not a slight on Patrick Chung. I, I just, I think having him guard tight ends the entire game is is wasting his playmaking ability. He's got a really good nose for the football. We saw it today. We saw it last year. Had a bunch of interceptions last year, right? Like four or five of them in 2021. This is a guy that should be able to see ball, get ball. He should just be around right. the football. And you start to talk about – oh, well, how can they get faster? And how can they, you know, compete with Buffalo and keep up with Josh Allen? Well, if you're not so worried about Kyle Duggar covering Dawson Knox in the game against Buffalo and you unlock him to allow him to run around and roam free, well, now that he can sort of be that sideline to sideline presence, contribute to that sideline to sideline presence. So I, I, once again, am just clamoring for the Patriots to just allow Kyle Duggar to be a ball hawk just allow him to go chase the football and that is with it in the air and that's also open field tackling and going and getting people and I think that the hope is that with Adrian Phillips with Jabril Peppers maybe Sean Wade who's been playing like kind of like a big nickel role for them in the spring so far uh, some of these guys can maybe go in there and guard tight ends and allow Kyle Duggar a little bit more freedom because every single time they play him in a zone role and they allow him to just watch the quarterback and roam to the ball and fly to the football, he, the guy makes plays. Like not just like, oh, I made the tackle. Like he turns it over, right? Like I and I think right. that that's the difference. You know, Patrick Chung was a shutdown guy in his prime on tight ends. He was excellent at playing the run for his size. He was a really, really good player. I'm not trying to say that Patrick Chung wasn't a good football player, but I think that they're different. I, I don't think that Kyle Duggar should be pigeonholed to just covering tight ends. I, I think that they need to allow him to roam free and, and allow him to just kind of make plays for this defense. Cause you know, when Chung was here, they had playmate, other playmakers, right? They had other big time guys, Hightower and Collins and, uh, you know, Steph Gilmore and JC Jackson and, you know, all these other guys that could go out there and turn fo footballs over and make big plays for the defense and just allow Chung to go get tight ends. Uh, Duggar needs to be a, a big time playmaker for them. And I, I think that they're 
they're kind of getting into that a little bit more. I think last year they did a right. little bit more this year. I think they, they're going to do it a little bit more than they did last year. So hopefully those are some positive developments there uh, with Kyle Duggar. We spoke to Ronnie Perkins after practice. I, I thought the comparison that he made to his role at Oklahoma to Dietrich wise was really interesting. Just talking about how at Oklahoma, he was essentially a hand in the dirt defensive end designed to rush the passer and now they're asking him to play in a two-point stance and drop into coverage and play some linebacker and do some different things that he never did in college I think the best way to preface this for right now is uh, who are you more optimistic contributing are, are you still in the Uche camp or, or do you think that Ronnie Perkins might end up being the guy that that breaks through because I'm interested to see what Perkins has obviously I think they came into last year and they were like you know, this is going to be a complete red shirt year for you. Like, the, you know, just try to learn, just try to absorb information. Now I think it's a little bit different. I, I still think, and I said this a couple weeks ago, I still think there's a rotation there because I think they do different things, right? And just on Perkins, the thing that stood out to me, I think actually you were the one who asked this question about the difference between Oklahoma and, and what he's yeah. doing in New England. It was a very interesting answer. You could tell he, he started answering, he realized he gave too much away and he kind of pulled back. He said he's being asked to do more in coverage here than he ever was at Oklahoma. At Oklahoma, yeah. he was purely a rusher and an edge setter. So that's not – Josh Uche, we don't really see him cover much. So that tells me they have them doing different things. They view them as different players. I don't think it's an either-or. I think it's a, it becomes a situational thing between the two of them, and there may be situations where they're both on the field at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think Uche – I tried to ask him a, a few – different ways about playing on the ball versus off the ball and maybe playing a little bit more inside linebacker this year on first down. So you're not caught up setting the edge on first down as much as he has been in the past. I think that's been a big reason why Uche hasn't been able to carve out a legitimate role on this defense, just because he's not an edge setter. He's not a first down edge setter in the way the Patriots have traditionally run their scheme. If they can convert to being a 240-pound inside linebacker and then move on to the line of scrimmage on passing situations, kind of like what they've done in the past with like a Van Noy or a Hightower, I think that's a completely different role. And that's something that he could really do very, very well. And maybe there's opportunity there at that point to play Ronnie Perkins and Josh Uche together, right? If both guys are are solid and Perkins can be a little bit better at setting the edge, I think, just because he's a little bit thicker and a little bit bigger, It'd be interesting to see with one of those two, though, because I think the the overarching theme of the spring is it's now or never for those guys, right? For Perkins, Uche, uh, McGrone, Jennings, like it's their turn. Like they got to take the rope now and we'll see what ends up happening. And, and if they can take the rope, I think it's going to be uh, pretty vital uh, for this Patriots defense. If this Patriots defense is going to be good this year, they're going to need some of those younger linebackers to really step up, right? Like those guys are going to have to be yeah. real big playmakers to make up for some of the losses. Uh, last but not least, we did see some punting today, Alex. You had the stopwatch out. Uh, Jake Bailey put on the show. Jake yeah, hang Bailey, on. Let me let me get the times here. Keep going, but let me get the times. Jake Bailey made a statement today that which, it's uh, Jake Julian, right? I got the name right. Yeah, Jake Julian is not going – to take his job and his salary at $3.9 million is a non starter in terms of moving on from Jake Bailey, because today he looked like the all pro punter that we saw in 2019 or 2020, 2020, uh, it looked yeah. like the all pro punter that we saw in 2020 
absolutely booming some kicks. And I know, I know you have the stopwatch times on them, Alex. Yeah. Uh, so Jake Bailey had punts. So here's Bailey's first four punts. 5.06 seconds, 5.19, 5.1. And then he had a 5.7. Yeah, that was a bomb. Yeah. Right. And maybe, maybe, maybe I was a little slow on the thumb on that one, but it, it was an absolute tank. Yeah. He, I, you know, he was hurt last year. I think that's some of the reason that, that he dipped a little bit, but yeah, he looked really, really, really good today. He looked excellent today. Yeah. on the one that you timed at 5.7 cam Accord, the Patriots special teams coordinator was actually cheering after that one. He was yeah. like, he was like, Oh boy, what a punt. Like that was, that was a heck of a punt. Uh, Julian, you mentioned the, the ball kind of, corkscrews off his foot a little bit it's a little bit funky but you can tell and julian's got a big leg like he's got some big college numbers in terms of uh, distance on some of his punts in college but bailey clearly the leg today i think was even for an untrained eye uh, like myself when it comes to punters it was pretty clear who had the, the better day punting the football today yeah i'm looking at it here so julian's best punt was four four nine jake bailey and that's of six Jake Bailey and eight punts only had one punt that was less than that. It was four, three, eight. So Julian, you're right. The, the, the rotation off his foot's pretty funky and there's a lot to like about that, but Jake Bailey's on another level. He's on another level. He showed that again today. Yeah. Good, good punter. Good punter. The Patriots have. All right. So that about does it for our recap of day one, the Patriots mini camp. Alex and I have both written uh, notebooks or takeaway columns about day one on 985thesportshub.com for Alex and on clnsmedia.com for me. And we'll both be out there again tomorrow doing the same thing. And uh, we'll talk about tomorrow and Thursday due to the Celtics game tomorrow night. Uh, We'll talk about this on Thursday's show, uh, days two and three of minicamp. So uh, that is a wrap on the Patriots. But we we do have to do a Boston Sports Minute. Yeah, a little bit. There's a lot going on in Boston sports outside of the Patriots. I'm glad we got to do a solid 55 minutes on the Pats. We needed that. But now that we have to get into the Boston sports minute, I don't even know where to begin. We start with the Bruins. We start with the Bruins because they deserve it. They want the headlines. They make the move during the NBA finals instead of three weeks ago when they should have. They get the headlines. Was Bruce Cassidy the best coach in the world? Was he Bill Belichick on skates? No. Yeah. He was not the issue. It's one thing if you say we're cleaning house, right? I'm not saying there was no precedent for firing Cassidy. If you're firing your GM, then yeah, the GM's probably going to want to bring in his own his own coach. That's not uncommon at all. And then it makes sense. All right, you're hitting the reset button. I get it. To fire Cassidy and then uh, to fire Cassidy and then extend Don Sweeney sends the wrong message. And then Sweeney's press conference this morning where he says, I don't think I've lost faith in myself, whatever the, whatever that means. Um, You know, just we'll see who they get to replace Cassie. It's not going to be somebody better. It's a rough look and they have no direction. They have no direction. It's one thing if, you know, you're going to fire Sweeney because if Sweeney leaves, because he doesn't want to stick around for the rebuild. That's what Theo Epstein essentially was, right? He yeah. kind of had to go because he wasn't going to stick around and rebuild the team. Maybe Cassie doesn't want to stick around for rebound for rebuild and he leaves. By all accounts, that's not the case. And if 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 it's a veterans thing, I'm sorry. I, I'll take Cassidy over one more year, maybe of Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. I I just the bigger issue is not getting rid of Sweeney, right? 
if if they had you know kept Cassidy and moved forward, whatever. But it just really feels like that team has no direction right now. Yeah, they fired the wrong guy. And Fudu Shinzawa, who does a great job covering the team for the Athletic, he had a report today that David Pasternak, because David Krejci and uh, Tuka Rask are Pasta's two best friends on the team, or right. were Pasta's two best friends on the team. And Pasta is a little salty about how Don Sweeney and Cam Neely handled uh, Tuka Rask and David Krejci towards the end of their careers here in Boston and might not sign an extension with the Bruins if Don Sweeney is still the GM. So all these reports that yesterday I blasted the Bruins on Twitter right after it. I said all the things you just said about how Sweeney and Neely have done a terrible job constructing this roster, terrible job drafting since 2015. We're going on six or seven drafts outside of taking Charlie McAvoy and I guess Jeremy Swayman, if you want to give them credit for what goalie Bob probably did. Right. All of those things aside, for five or six or seven years now, they have absolutely nothing to show from their draft classes. It's not just that their drafting has been mediocre. Right. It's been awful. Like the Patriots get a lot of crap for having bad drafts. The Bruins have had a way worse run in the draft right. than the Bruins uh, than the Patriots have as of late. Their their free agent additions, Olmark overpaying Olmark, you know trading guys for like guys like Rick Nash and stuff like that over the years, they had to trade for uh, Lindholm because they had no defensemen, right? So they have to make an in-season trade for Hampus Lindholm. And then they have to pay him that ridiculous contract just to get him here because they had no defensemen to even make the playoffs last year. They have no centers in the pipeline with Bergeron aging Krejci, no longer on the team. And they fire the coach. Like it just, it makes it defies all logic. You didn't and solve the problem you think you're solving by doing that. No, not one bit. And if they think that this team is better off because they're going to play a slightly different style of hockey than what they were playing with Bruce Cassidy, and all of a sudden all these players are going to unlock this like great, you know, brand of hockey because they're playing things a little bit differently. Like I know in the past. They've been more of a forward checking team over the last couple of years with Cassidy. They've transitioned into more of a rush team, right? Trying to create in the open ice and things like that. If they think that going back to a forward checking team is going to make them like significantly better, then they're just totally missing the point. I don't even think that's what it is. I think they just, it's a, it's a change to make a change. It's a change to say, Hey, look, we're trying. I think what they think they're doing yeah. is replicating what the Celtics did. I think they think they're going to get their email. Udoka and he's going to light a fire tap yeah. into something right. That is going to all turn around. Yeah. It's, I don't want to say they don't have the same talent. The Celtics do, because I think like Pasternak and Tatum are very comparable, right? Yeah. You know, McAvoy, yeah. Jalen Brown, like they're, it's a different sport. It doesn't work that way. And they don't have the depth. Yeah. They, right. They have those they're guys. The they, yeah. they have top end talent, you know, one through five on the roster, I think they're they're up there with just about any team in the league. It's the drop off. The drop off after that is tremendous. Changing the coach isn't going to do that. The only way you do that is a different ap- approach in the front office, either by the personnel that are already there or bringing in a new front office. Jeremy, you know, and that's not going to happen. So yeah. Bruce Cassidy took a team with so many flaws on the roster to 107 points 
and game seven with the Carolina Hurricanes, right? A really good Hurricanes team took him to the brink in game seven, and he gets he's gets scapegoated by the Bruins. And there's no other way to put it. And th- this is just such a it's so Bruins, right? Like it's so Bruins, it's not even funny. Right. Just you know, scapegoating people and not actually addressing the real problem. And uh, I think that this also ties into, you know, we talk about it sometimes with the Patriots with, with Steve and uh, Bill Belichick and Gerard Mayo, Matt Patricia and Joe judge. Now that all these guys are, are Belichick family members, you know, pseudo family members or actual family members, Cam Neely and Don Sweeney are kind of similar, right? Those guys are best friends. They were roommates back in the day. They were really, really tight as players, and now it feels like they are not going to allow each other to be, you know, the one on the out, right? Like, it's going to always be somebody else. And for the Bruins, that's a really, really scary proposition because they – their drafting and their roster management over the last four or five years has been abysmal, and they've really been carried by the fact that they had a really good core already in place. And now it's, you know, Bergeron – Krejci's gone. Bergeron, we don't know. Yeah. Marshawn's going to miss the first couple months next year. Now it sounds like Pasternak might, might want out, which is terrifying. McAvoy's going to miss some time, I think, too, right, to start next yeah, season. Like November, December, yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, ideally what you do in this spot, if all those guys are missing time anyway, like I don't hate the idea of you just right next year off. You essentially do what the Patriots did in 2020, right? Yeah. They might have right, to. Right, right next year off, and if you get a top 10 pick, then you, you, know, you get some personnel, and hopefully you hit on that pick and – you can kind of jump started from there, but I don't think that's what they're going to do. They they're going to be a you know they're going to be the last wild they're going to compete for the last wild card spot. They're going to get it. They're going to be one and done, and they'll call it a success. We made the playoffs. Terrible, absolutely terrible. What's going on with the Bruins? What's going on with the other team at the TD Garden is Game Three tomorrow night, the NBA Finals, one one obviously for the Celtics and the Warriors. Alex, how are you feeling about tomorrow night? Did the, it's weird because the Celtics did what they needed to do in San Francisco, right? They got the split. They got the mm. one win, but I, I know you, you kind of are, are teetering a little bit and I'm sure you're not alone that this is leading a little bit more towards the Warriors than we would like. What it honestly kind of reminds me of is the way the Patriots ended their season. Remember we said, look, if they just make the playoffs, it's a, it's a success. They don't need yeah. to beat Buffalo, but then the, the nature in which they lost yeah. changed that outlook. We went in saying, oh, they're playing with house money. But then it was so bad that we kind of had to go back on that. That's how I feel about game two for the Celtics. Like, they got the split. Yes, they got the split. Yes, we should be happy with the split. But they just – it didn't – they did not look like they belonged on the same floor with the Warriors in in uh, game two. You know, game one, game one, the Warriors lost, but they – looked on par with the Celtics. That was a great yeah. game. We looked like it was a great matchup. The Warriors come out, they beat the bag out of them. And I just worry, you know, and I know it's been, and, and some of the players said this, and I know some defenders, Celtics defenders said it, you said it, you're now a green teamer, oddly enough, you know, that this whole playoffs, it's been so game to game. Nobody can be yeah. hot. Nobody can be cold. The Warriors aren't the Bucks. The Warriors aren't the Heat. This is a completely different animal. And I think you had them in the corner. After game one, I think the Celtics had him in the corner. I think they yeah. were legitimately worried because the first, the reason the first half of that game was close is because both teams were playing like crap. Neither team played well in the first half of that game too. And then the Warriors got hot. And that's what I worry about 
to whatever it was, 18 turnovers, 33 points off turnovers. You gave them extra opportunities. They used them to figure things out. And now Steph Curry is hot. Jordan Poole's hot. The only one I'm not worried about is Klay Thompson. Klay Thompson yeah. might be cooked. And I don't blame him after the injuries, but, you know, we, we say it all the time as a joke. Like, it's Jared Karabas' fallback line, right? Don't let so-and-so get hot. Yeah. I just feel like they let the Warriors get hot. And even with two days off, I feel like the Warriors were feeling themselves after that game. They were really feeling themselves after that game. I'm worried you kind of unleash the beast here if you're the Celtics. So I think the reason why I'm not as worried as, as you are with the Celtics is because every single time, and this is why you call me a green teamer now, is because I, I don't want to doubt this team anymore. Because every single time this team has looked cooked and every single time their back has been against the wall, after game five against Milwaukee, after game six against Miami, like all these instances, you just keep on thinking they're going to let go of the rope and they have yet to do it, right? They've always bounced back and they've always played harder and made and ended up winning the series. With, with Golden State, I think the one legitimate worry that you have is Steph Curry is the best player on the floor, right? Like he's the best player right. in the series and it might be – Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum in particular, because he's kind of got to be the number one, the alpha guy. They're really, really, really close to being superstars. I think they are superstars, or at least Jalen, uh, Jason is, but the mentality, right? Like that killer mentality of that a superstar has. I think they're really, really close to that, but Steph might already be there, right? Well, no, he's not already. Might, he might, might. Yeah, he's there. He's yeah. already there. So, this is what worried me about the Bucs series also, and it went seven games, is that Giannis was the best player on the court, right? Giannis was the alpha. Giannis was the right. dude. I wasn't as worried with Miami, even though it went seven games, because Jimmy Butler's a really, really good player. But I think the gap there between Butler and Jason Tatum is almost equal, whereas with Giannis, he was clearly the best player. And this series, Steph Curry is clearly the best player. That worries me. But the one thing that I would be optimistic about with the Celtics is I still think, and this is what happened with the Bucks and with Miami, I, I still think they're deeper. I still think they're a deeper team. And I, still I think don't they, know. I still think they have more options to score. I, I think the Warriors... Yeah, Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole. Those guys uh, don't scare me as scorers. Like, they just don't. Poole like, doesn't? Poole, Jordan Poole after that performance? You're I don't know. Jordan Poole? I don't think Jordan Poole does that again. I think he had an outside of his mind half in the second half. Like, the shot from near half court, like, like please. Like, he's not going to make any of those, like, at that level ever again. I don't, I don't know I, about I depth, Evan. Nick Bielich is out there killing the Celtics. Like, how many more... Know. If you I, want to talk about depth, it, how okay, many more minutes? How many more minutes do you it, want Daniel Tice to play? How deep no, on the terrible. bench do you want to go behind Daniel Tice? That's your depth. That's the end of your depth, though. So what I what I would say is with Clay Thompson in the form that he is in, which is a shell of himself. I mean, we both can agree with that. Yes. And Draymond Green has never been a scorer. Like that's never been his game. But that's right? not how he's impacting the game, but sure. Yeah. Right. But I'm just saying like, they need points at the end of the day, right. From some place, right. from right. some source. Right. So the question in this series is because I think between Brown and Tatum, they can probably cancel out Steph Curry together, right? That tandem can probably keep up right. with Steph together. The question is, is do you have more faith in Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, Otto Porter, and the Warriors 
depth guys or the Warriors depth scores than Derek White, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, Rob Williams, right? Like the Celtics court secondary scores. And right now throughout the playoffs, the way it's looked, I still have more faith in the Celtics guys, but that does mean that like clay can't go off like clay can't have a clay game at any point right like he's got to look like this and throughout the playoffs he's had one good game a series right like he's always had one good game a series so the clay game is probably coming at some point where he just gets hot from three and he, and he scores 30 points but i don't know I, I still believe more in smart and in white and in rob and in al horford uh, and those guys then I do an Otto Porter and Andrew Wiggins. Like, please, I, I don't know. I'm just not as sold on those guys as you are, I guess. But the, the step factor worries me because that guy is unbelievably ridiculous. And, and you know, yeah. it's one of those things where they just feed off of it too, right? Like the rest of the team, like Jordan Poole gets hot because Steph Curry is making threes from all over the place. And you just, you have to worry about it. Steph just might, be the guy like Steph just might be better than everybody else. And that might be the difference. Right. Well, do you, so no, here's the difference. I'll give you the ultimate deciding factor in the series. And this is why I I'm not as, as worried as I am about what the Warriors have done. I obviously just said that this is why I'm not totally writing the Celtics off just yet since the start of the second round. So this doesn't include the net series. Cause oddly enough, the net series goes completely against this, but the nets are horrible since the start of the second round it's against the bucks against the heat and the two games against the Warriors. Ime Udoka said during the Heat series, he said, our magic number for turnovers is 12. He said that when, yeah. when asked about turnover problems. When the Celtics turn the ball over 12 or fewer times, they are 7-2 and two with those two losses coming by two and three points respectively, both to Milwaukee. Add one turnover to that, Evan. When they turn the ball over 13 times or more, they are 2-5. and five. You go from 7-2. and two, Yeah to two and five, if they can figure out a way to hold on to the basketball, they they have a chance to win any game. Oddly enough, yeah. against the Nets, they turned the ball over 14-plus times in all four games, and they won all four of them. So I don't know what happened there. But if they can just hold on to the basketball, all other things aside, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, They just have to be able to hold on to the basketball. Yeah, I like some of the things that we were actually out at practice when a lot of the players and Ime were talking, but I went back and, and read some of the things that they said, and they were talking about floor spacing and how they have to unclog the lane, right? Like the Warriors are just right. building a wall, packing in the, the paint when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown put the ball on the court and, and tried to drive to the hoop. And they got to reestablish that spacing that they had in game one. The big reason why that fourth quarter, why they went off in game one is because they were driving and kicking, right? They were penetrating and then they were leaving Al Horford and smart and Derek white wide open for these three pointers. They got to get back to playing that type of basketball. And I think that maybe uh, they have a pretty good chance in this series, but look, if Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter and Jordan Poole beat you, then I think, you know, so like you got to take your chances there, right? Like you just got to yeah. take your chances. Uh, I think the Celtics are, are as in good a shape as you could possibly be in an NBA finals. It's not going to be easy. Like you don't get to this round and have it be a cakewalk. So uh, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with Boston big game tomorrow night. Like that's yeah, 
that's kind of the series, right? The winner of, of a game three and a one, one series uh, more times than not. I'm sure the, the math tells you that the, the winner of game three in that situation ends up going on to win the series with the vast majority of the time. So big game tomorrow night for the Celtics. The, the Red Sox are still on the West coast, right? They're still, they're still an angels. They're, they're, they're back to 500. Now they're kind of moving a little bit. Michael yeah. Walker throwing a complete game. One run last night. I, you know, Say what you will about High and Bloom. He found Michael Walker. That's a check in his box. That's a positive in his box. Yeah. So it is the what the A's and the Angels back to back are two of the the worst teams in baseball right now, right? I think the Angels have lost like twelve in a row. Well, the Angels like the Angels were good, and then they yeah. right they're they're on a they're on a you know twelve game losing streak. They just fired their manager today. By the way, the the uh, modern king of analytics, Joe Madden, not cutting it. I wonder why that is because the two best players in baseball still can't win. I wonder why that is. Yeah. So Alex, Uh, when are the Red Sox going to pay Raphael Devers? That's, that's a real question for the boss. Well, if we all, if, if we all get our Nesson 360 subscriptions, maybe they can afford it. Yeah. You want a revolution take? I'll give you a revolution take. Good for them. They had that great year. They're cashing in the Adam books, a transfer, uh, uh, Matt Turner, uh, Tejan Buchanan. They're going to be able to pump that money back into the club. I think that's just how you have to, you know, as an MLS team, I think that's kind of how you have to operate, but good for the refs. Good for the refs. They got their due and I'm happy for those guys. They were great last year. And you know, it's not, it's not like the, the, the four other leagues that nobody's trying to play their whole life in, in MLS. So good for those guys to get to go play. I think all three of them went to, uh, yeah, all three of them went to Europe, France, Belgium, and, and England. So good for those guys for getting those opportunities. Well, maybe we can add the Revs as one of the the on the backer here as a Revs logo. But there's the Boston Sports 25 minutes. We had a lot to talk about, to be fair, with the Bruce Cassidy, and I thought it was really in, classy, but also interesting that Bill Belichick opened his press conference today by shouting out Bruce Cassidy. And he didn't come out and directly say it, but he definitely had a little bit of a of a of a take on that. I think in, in his back pocket, he's been given he, like. He's low key been giving takes. He we might need to he yeah. might need to start his own Boston Sports Minute. Yeah, he's he. I don't think he was too bullish on the Bruins firing his buddy Bruce. I I think that he no. thought that, that was as bad as a move, a bad as a move as all of us did. So it was interesting to hear Belichick talk about that. Also shouted out Romeo Cornell and, and congratulated him on his career and thanked him for his contributions to the Patriots. Cornell announcing his retirement after. I think it was 50 years coaching football and 40 50 years. Yeah. 50 years, 11 in college. I, I'll Crazy. real, real quick, real uh, uh, fun fact on Romeo Cornell was the defense coordinator here from 01 to 04. Obviously a lot of people yeah. look at the, the 04 defense as the gold standard, but the 2003 defense, they had three shutouts that year in that yeah. iteration of scheduling. So from 2001 to 2020, only one other team had three shutouts, the 17, uh, nine, no, 17 Ravens. That's it. So that was the record during that span for the most shutouts in a single season. That's pretty three shutouts in a 16 game season. When you think about it is wildly impressive. So shout out to Romeo Cornell for that one. Yeah. They have the contributor category for the pro football hall of fame, which is meant for assistant coaches, general managers, owners, you know, guys that just, 
contribute a lot to the game of football. You know, a couple of years ago, Gil Brandt got in as a scout, right? Like those types of, right. of guys. I think someday Ernie Adams will probably get in as a contributor. It wouldn't surprise me if Romeo Cornell gets into that category at some point as well, or at least gets voted on in that, in that contributor category. Yeah. It's not the same as going into the pro football hall of fame, like, you know, Randy Moss went into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, right? It's not the same category, uh, but it's certainly guys that are deserving of, uh, you know, getting their accolades uh, for their contributions to the NFL and and to professional football. So uh, shout out to Romeo Cornell, a real one, obviously a three-time Super Bowl champion with the Patriots and uh, those defenses, all of of Romeo's defenses with the Patriots were awesome to watch, right? I mean, there's just... It didn't get any better than that. All right. So once again, uh, you can read Alex and I tomorrow on Wednesday at day two of Patriots minicamp. We'll also have some videos uh, of me from Foxborough right here on Patriots press pass reporting down there and recapping what happens on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we'll do another recap show like tonight, you know, six o'clock right after practice at some point on Thursday evening. And Alex and I will break down day three and wrap up minicamp for the Patriots on Thursday afternoon. So make sure to come back for to Patriots press pass for uh, recaps and reports from Foxborough tomorrow, but then also uh, Patriots beat will be back on Thursday afternoon to talk about mini camp and put a bow on the spring off season program for the Patriots. There is currently scheduled one practice next week that is supposed to be open to the media. I'm still 50 50 or whether or not they're going to hold that practice or not. We'll end up, we'll see what happens, uh, but sometimes if they get what they need to get done at mandatory mini camp, they they cancel the rest of the offseason program and let everybody go enjoy their summer. Right. So uh, we'll see what ends up happening with that last uh, OTA practice next week. But like I said, Alex and I will be back on Thursday. And thanks so much for watching and listening and allowing us uh, to do the Boston Sports 30 minutes that we just got in there. <laughs> and uh, it'll be a lot of fun, uh, as always. And we'll have uh, another show on Thursday to recap minicamp and on day three of Patriots minicamp down at Gillette. So thanks so much for watching, everybody. But until next time, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you Thursday.